Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. The terrorist organization Hamas, a word that actually in Hebrew means violence, has in their charter the destruction of Israel. They want to annihilate all Jews and set up an Islamic state. Of course, not just in Israel, but everywhere. Islam wants to put all non-Muslim nations into submission. That's what Islam means, to submit. In Hamas's surprise attack a few days ago, they murdered, they desecrated, they raped innocent civilians. Entire families, women, and children were massacred. Some babies murdered in their cribs. There are dead bodies everywhere. One report even claims that 40 babies have been murdered, and many of them were beheaded in a kibbutz just outside the Gaza Strip. And when you think about these things, when you see some of the images, do you feel the revulsion that I feel? I almost feel like Eisenhower when he first saw a Nazi concentration camp. He went out behind his Jeep and vomited. Do you think that people who do such things deserve to be punished? Do you think they deserve the death penalty themselves? Can you negotiate with people who are intent on your destruction and will literally commit demonic acts to destroy you? You know, both presidents in recent times, well, three presidents, Obama, Trump, and Biden, thought they could negotiate with radical Islamicists. Obama thought he could do so with Iran. Trump thought he could do so with the Taliban in Afghanistan. Now Biden, as clueless as he is, wants to somehow renegotiate the Iran deal. The very people that support Hamas. And he just sent them, by the way, $6 billion. Biden did to Iran. Now do the crimes that we've witnessed... Did these horrific crimes in any way help us understand why God ordered what he did order in the Old Testament regarding people who were also enemies of Israel, the Canaanites? Well, there's no better person to help us understand that than Dr. Paul Copan. Dr. Copan, as you know, has been on this program several times. He's written several amazing books. One is called, Is God a Moral Monster?, Another's called, Did God Really Command Genocide? And his most recent book is a, call, is a book called, Is God a Vindictive Bully? Reconciling, reconciling portrayals of God in the Old and New Testament. 
and uh, he covers a lot of these thorny Old Testament ethical challenges. And he adds a lot of fresh new material on the Canaanite wars, on women, and the question of slavery in this new book. In fact, we had Dr. Copan on this program back in December to talk about this book when it first came out. But right now, with regard to what's going on in Israel, I thought it would be a great time to have Paul back on the program. Paul, uh, it was great being with you about a month ago when we were down at Florida Atlantic, and it was great that you could come out of the crowd and actually answer a question on, is God a moral monster? No, I appreciate the opportunity. So, that was a lot of fun teaming up with you. Yeah, it was. Uh, Paul, Paul teaches at Palm Beach Atlantic, and we were down at uh, Florida um, at a, a university down there in Florida, just very close. So we had dinner beforehand. And then I said, Paul, if I get a moral monster question, I'm calling you out. And so he came out and answered, answered the question so brilliantly. It's on video, by the way, friends, if you go to uh, our YouTube channel and look for the event that we had down at Florida Atlantic, you can see uh, Dr. Copan come out of the crowd there and answer that question. But Paul, this is a very serious issue that we're dealing now or we're dealing with with regard to Hamas. I want to ask you this question as we as we think about this Hamas attack on Israel that is ongoing right now. How does the Old Testament's discussion on warfare connect to this? What what are some of the comparisons we can draw? Well, the first comparison that comes to us even before we say get to the law of Moses is you have the Amalekites who come and attack the Israelites in in Exodus 17. They've just crossed the Red Sea. It's been a harrowing uh, series of events, fleeing Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, kind of the panic that the, the, they, they, the Israelites were trapped between Pharaoh and the sea. And of course, the Lord uh, parted the Red Sea and the Israelites walked across on dry ground. And then as they came through that, then they were, uh, they were attacked by the Amalekites. And here they were unprepared. They were not uh, a military fighting machine. They were just, uh, had just been enslaved and now they were free. And, uh, and so this attack came. So it was a, actually a very uh, brutal and ruthless act. Uh, here are these vulnerable people coming through, not prepared for any of this. And so the, uh, the Israelites uh, fought, and it was a, a matter of uh, putting trust in God. And of course, Moses was praying while uh, Joshua was fighting, and Aaron and Hur were holding up his arms while he prayed. Uh, and of course, uh, by holding up his arms, the, uh, the tide uh, in favor of Israel prevailed, and the Amalekites were defeated. Of course, the Amalekites do keep on showing up and trying to, uh, to annihilate, to exterminate the Israelites uh, generation after generation. And even you have some uh, an, Amal an Amalekite, uh, the uh, an Agagite, uh, you know, in the in the book of Esther, uh, who who is seeking to uh, to continue that sort of hostility, that sort of uh, animosity. Uh, so you have this uh, you know this brutality that is continuing generation after generation until you finally get to Haman, the Agagite, uh, who wants to see Israel uh, destroyed in uh, in the Persian uh, era during the Persian Empire, and of course Esther uh, recounts that uh, that uh, story. Uh, but so you have that very beginning uh, right out of the box, and so you have the Israelites in a situation where there is uh, warfare 
in order to survive even. Uh, and so this was kind of the first test uh, for Israel's survival. And so you you have that that kind of as a paradigm. You have other instances where the, you know, I guess even before then, Genesis 14, where you have uh, Abraham or Abram, uh, who's, uh, who's uh, there's a raid uh, by various uh, various kings. Uh, and so Lot and, uh, and, and the family, the possessions are taken. And so uh, Abraham aligns himself, Abram aligns himself with other kings and they go and retrieve all of those things that have been taken. They, uh, you know, there is this, uh, you, know, you know, Lot is, is secured, Abraham's nephew. And so there is this assumption that when there is this kind of uh, attack, when with these, you know, innocent civilians are, are under attack, then, uh, then it is right to, you know, to fight back, to, uh, to retrieve what has been taken from you. And, uh, and so it was, uh, you know, that's an example of a just war, the, the Israelites uh, fighting against the Amalekites, an instance of a just war. Uh, you know, and again, we can. We'll, I'm sure we'll talk about the question of the uh, the Canaanite war shortly. But those are a couple of instances where you have uh, again the innocent uh, who have been uh, attacked. In this case, the Israelites and uh, the the rightness of their response to uh, to that attack. And the question will be then: Is it ever right for God to order uh, the killing of people or the expulsion of people from the land who are doing such things. It seems to me there are some parallels that are going on right now with regard to Hamas. Uh, can Israel negotiate with a group that has in their charter the annihilation of the Jews, the annihilation of Israel? What is Israel supposed to do about this? We're going to talk a lot more with Dr. Paul Copan. His new book is God of Vindictive Bully. Goes into this and much more. You're going to want to get it wherever you get books. So don't go anywhere. We're back in just two minutes with Dr. Paul Copan. We were slated to go to Israel in November. That trip just got postponed. Just about every major airline has suspended air travel to Israel other than El Al, the Israeli airline. The foreign airlines, American Airlines, Delta, United, they have all suspended travel. So even if we wanted to go to Israel, we couldn't go right now. So for those of you that were going on the trip to Israel with us in November, we're going to be trying to reschedule that at some point. It's indefinite as to when that would be. Uh, the word on the street is that what's going on now is going to take months. It's not a typical skirmish between Hamas out of the Gaza Strip and the Israelis around the Gaza Strip. This is probably going to be a much bigger operation. There's been at least 300,000 soldiers called out, reservists that have been called out. So apparently there's something bigger going on now. And so it's not an area that... Uh, is a place we could go at this point, but hopefully we could get back there. Uh, and uh, you need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the peace of Israel. We need to pray for the Israelis. We need to pray for their enemies because uh, we want everybody to be saved. But Paul, we're talking to Dr. Paul Copan here. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist on the American Family Radio Network. Uh, Dr. Paul Copan has written a, a book called Is God a Vindictive Bully, among many other books. Paul, for me, when, you know, the past few days, seeing the reports that have come out of Israel, uh, 
in, in me, there's, there's a certain amount of revulsion that I actually feel now intellectually. I don't have any problem thinking that God has the authority to kill anybody whenever he wants to, if they have sinned. Uh, and, uh, because look, <laughs> we, we all die at some point, And if God exists and he's the one sustaining us, he pulls his hand, his, his hand away at some point. Uh, and that's up to him when that happens. But I, I think emotionally, when you read some of the things in the Old Testament, and you've done a great job of explaining what's going on in the Old Testament, a lot of people don't, emotionally, they can't get there. Why would God order people killed in the Old Testament, Dr. Copan? Yeah, that's the sort of question to, say, take on a on a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, when we're dealing with the firstborn of Egypt, for example, uh, where we see that God is actually, and, and this is often the case, God taking last resort action when all else uh, has not uh, succeeded in persuading people to stop what they're doing and to, uh, to change their ways. So when it comes to the firstborn of Egypt, uh, we say, yeah, th- you know, I mean, it's not as though we're saying, oh, this is a great thing. This is a good thing. We're saying, no, these are, these are terrible things that are being done. But what else is God to do? Uh, what, uh, what is the alternative? So with regard to, say, Pharaoh, the, the, uh, who leads the superpower of the day, Egypt, uh, when the, of course, the Israelites, we begin in, in the book of Exodus, we begin with a nasty Pharaoh who has the Israelites, uh, Israelite boys, he wants them drowned in the Nile River. Uh, then we come to his successor, and God uh, tells Moses to go and to confront him. And, uh, and he says, tell Pharaoh that you've got to stop harming and oppressing my firstborn, Israel. That this is something that he is, uh, you know, he had the cries of the Israelites in, in this suffering, uh, in this oppression as, uh, as slaves in Egypt. Uh, God says, I'm going to send you to deliver them. And the death of the firstborn is preceded by nine other plagues. God has been showing his greatness on foreign turf, as it were. Uh, to show that he is greater than the gods of the Egyptians, that there is a kind of cosmic warfare going on here. <clears throat> Keep in mind that the uh, the promise to Abraham has begun. It's it's been put into motion. God says that you know in Genesis chapter twelve that to that you know through you and your offspring all the families of the earth will be blessed, and those who will. Uh, try to put an end to that, put a stop to that. I will put a stop to them. I will, uh, if they're going to bless you, I'll bless them. If they're going to curse you, I'm going to curse them. And here we have someone who is indeed cursing, not just the Israelites, but also the God. Who is this Lord that I should obey him? And so there is this uh, this uh, harshness that that Pharaoh is exerting. Uh, again, not a nice guy when we when we confront him. And so we we see that there is this uh, chance after chance that Pharaoh has to say, "I give up. Uh, the, the The Lord is God." Uh, he continues. He persists, and finally, the breakthrough moment after all else failed, after the you know after the you know the, the all of these plagues have uh, transpired. Uh, finally, after the killing of the firstborn, uh, there is deliverance for the Israelites. So it's it's last resort action here. We we it's not as though God delights in these sorts of things, uh, as Lamentations chapter three says. The Lord does not afflict willingly. 
Uh, and so we need to understand that even when we look at the Canaanite wars and so forth, God waits over half a millennium, Genesis 15, 16 says, uh, you know, that he's going to wait until the wickedness of the Amorites, the Canaanite peoples, is finally reached full measure. So it would be wrong for the Israelites to go in until that time of ripeness of their sins or wickedness uh, has reached you know, full measure. So, so there is this timing issue as well. It's not as though this is, say, a precipitous uh, attack or driving out. And to keep in mind that the, uh, that the command of the Israelites was primarily to drive out the Canaanites, that God said he would send his hornet ahead. And that's why uh, it's probably connected to the factor of fear, that he would try to instill, God would instill fear in the hearts of the Canaanites so that they could, after seeing the signs and the wonders, they had plenty of warning themselves. They knew what God did in Egypt. They saw that they knew that he, they, they brought them through the Red Sea, brought them through the Jordan, uh, that this is the God that was uh, trouncing these ancient uh, nations. And, and, and so now he is, uh, now he is coming to the Canaanites, and they have plenty of warning, plenty of uh, signs and wonders to uh, to remind them that they're up against something that is uh, is is great and powerful, and that they can flee. They have the opportunity to depart, uh, or if they they fight, then they they know they're up against the God who defeated the Egyptians as well. Yeah, you were the first one to point that out that I remember, Paul. It's probably back in the Moral Monster book that came out in 2009. And you relate that not every instance where God says annihilate, uh, kill women and children and all this is literal. Mm -hmm. And you point to Deuteronomy chapter 7 as as a reason for that. Can you unpack that for us? Yeah, um, Deuteronomy, which really ramps up or hyperbolizes a lot of the language from, say, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, uh, Exodus, even uh, you know where you have something. You know God is going to drive drive out the uh, the nations, the Canaanites, uh, like a hornet. Then you get to Deuteronomy and it says, "I'm going to drive them out." You know, have no mercy, utterly destroy, and so forth. So you have that very ramped up language, which, as I note, is something that is very clearly hyperbolic. As you look at text after text, and and again, I just encourage people to analyze these texts that where you often see the language of, quote, utter destruction, again, there's even the question of how to translate that word, uh, you know, quote, utterly destroy, uh, that word haram. Uh, you know, sometimes it could just mean exile. Sometimes it means having a decisive victory. And with regard to Deuteronomy 7, we see this kind of language that's common to the ancient Near East. And of course, the Israelites use it as well. Uh, this hyperbole, hyperbolic language, man, woman, young and old, and you don't even have women present or children present or the elderly present. Uh, and I could point to battle after battle like the Amalekites uh, or, the, or the Amorite kings in Numbers 21, where Deuteronomy will use that language of man, woman, young and old, even though you go to the original setting. And in Numbers 21, where it says that Moses and the army, by the way, they're fighting a defensive battle. They wanted to pass through peacefully and these two Amorite kings rise up and take arms against them. But it says the king, his sons, and his army are fighting against the Israelites. But then you get to Deuteronomy and it says, man, woman, young and old. Well, there weren't any women or children 
on the battlefield. Uh, that uh, you know, so so you don't, they're not going to be joining you know the women and children are going to be joining the army and fighting against the Israelites. They're going to be uh, hidden off, and it's going to be you know combatants between combatants here. So that's just an example. But Deuteronomy seven says you know use that language of utter destruction, and then it goes on to say, and do not intermarry with them. Do not make alliances with them because what's at issue? It is the identity of Israel. I mean, you can have Canaanites around. Uh, there are plenty of Canaanites who join up with the Israelites. They're living in the midst. But so long as the Israelites are comp in potential compromise of their own mission, their own identity, their own covenant with the Lord, then that's where the trouble is. So it's not the ethnicity of the Canaanites. It's not the fact that the Canaanites are there, uh, but but rather, the, so it's not a, an ethnic cleansing type of thing here. It's simply a matter of the idolatry. And I use the comparison in my book, Is God a Vindictive Bully, of Nazism, where God is concerned, just as a God is concerned to remove the Canaanite identity, and you don't have to remove Canaanites, to remove their identity. In Nazi Germany, after the Allies won, they destroyed all of the symbols of Nazism. They destroyed the hierarchy. They destroyed the statues and the, burned the flags and, and the monuments and toppled the monuments and so forth. And at the end of it all, what you had left was a denazified German nation. So that is what, for example, John and Harvey Walton say is to, to perform haram, it is identity removal without destroying or obliterating the entire nation. So there are a number of questions that come up about this. But as I, as I said, as I go after text after text, you'll see, oh, it says man, woman, young and old in the book of Joshua or no survivor. And that's like ancient Near Eastern trash talk because you look at other passages right next to them, you know, sometimes in the same verse even, or just a chapter or two mm. later where those same people are still around. So something else is going on here. And it's sort of like our saying about our sports teams today, we totally annihilated that team. We utterly, we totally destroyed those guys. Well, no one takes that literally. And in the ancient Near East, that was common jargon, common language, as we read the annals of the various pharaohs and, and others who are using that same kind of language. Yeah, and the Merneptah Stella, which dates to about 1210 BC, um, Merneptah the Pharaoh says, Israel's seed is laid waste, as if Israel exists no more because he apparently defeated them. That's right. Uh, and it's just not true. Obviously, Israel survived Merneptah, and uh, he was just trash talking. But yet it is so interesting. So if I'm understanding this right, you say when that battle in numbers takes place, there's not this obliteration language, but when it's recanted or summarized in Deuteronomy 7, you do have this obliteration language, but the very next verse says, don't intermarry with them. So how could they have obliterated these people? And then why would you have a warning not to intermarry with them if, if they were obliterated? Right. Which is yeah. what yeah. Dr. Copan is saying here. And there's much more in the book. Is God a vindictive bully? And not just on warfare, but on slavery, so-called so, so slavery, on, on women, on many other questions from the Old Testament. So you're going to want to pick up this copy. And we're going to be right back with Dr. Paul Copan. I'm Frank Turk. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist back in two minutes. Reminder, ladies and gentlemen, I will be at Ohio State University this Thursday, October 19th. It will be live streamed, Lord willing. If you're anywhere near Ohio State, anyone can attend. It is not uh, just for students, although we do tend to get a lot of students. Uh, Eric Chabot, the 
The Ratio Christie director there does a great job of getting people there. Does great ministry there on the Ohio State campus. Then the following week, we're going to be at several colleges. On the 23rd, we are going to be at Northwest Missouri State University. That's in Maryville, Missouri. And then the next night, the 24th, we're going to be at Missouri Western State University. That's in St. Joseph's, Missouri. And then on Thursday, the 26th, Lord willing, we'll be at Auburn University. Uh, There's been some baptisms out there lately, so looking forward to going there. And the following week, we'll be at the University of Cincinnati. That's going to be on November 2nd. Also, we've got the uh, the Galatians online course, verse by verse, starting October 23rd. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see it there. I will be your instructor. Before we get back to Dr. Paul Copan, um, things are changing on the ground in Israel every couple hours, as you know. We're recording this on Wednesday, October 11th. By the time you hear it, it might be a few days later, so things may have changed But uh, Abu Abida, who is the spokesperson for Hamas, recently said this, any targeting of innocent civilians without warning will be met regretfully by executing one of the captives in our custody. And we will be forced to broadcast this execution. Now, parenthetically, ladies and gentlemen, So far, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the BBC won't call these people terrorists. They call them gunmen. Okay? You need to know where you're getting your information from. And as as Cal Thomas famously said, every day I read the Bible and the New York Times just to see what both sides are doing. Okay? Uh, These people can't call a spade a spade. They can't call a terrorist a terrorist. And I think it's, it's disgraceful. What is going on in Israel now, regardless of any fault Israel has ever had, there is no justification for brutally murdering children, raping women, filming their bodies desecrated, and broadcasting execution of women and children hostages because uh, the people that you surprised attack retaliate. Now, Paul, I I wanted to ask you, you mentioned the Amalekites. Those are people that wanted to destroy Israel in Old Testament times, even before they got into the land. When they're they're at Mount Sinai, you mentioned that battle that's recorded in the book of Exodus. Were any of these other tribes like Hamas, as far as we know, that they wanted the ex obviously they didn't have Islamic theology that's that came centuries later or millennia later. Uh, but but were they intent on destroying Israel? Yeah, we, we mentioned the uh, the earlier uh, Amorite kings in Numbers 21. And mm-hmm. again, this is this is uh, recounted hyperbolically uh, in the in Deuteronomy chapters two and three. We also read in the book of Joshua that when the Gibeonites, uh, a Canaanite peoples make the uh, Canaanite people make a treaty with the Israelites, then a whole bunch of Canaanite uh, kings assemble together to fight against Israel as well as Gibeon. So, so it is a a retaliation for that treaty that was made, and so the Israelites are indeed fighting again for uh, we could say survival 
in, in this case, keep in mind that what's going on with the Israelites is, one, they are not militarily equipped. They are not a fighting people. Secondly, they are going to a place that has cities that seem uh, impregnable. Uh, thirdly, the Lord says that these people are more numerous than you are. And so you've got all these disadvantages. And so no, no wonder the Lord tells Joshua, don't be afraid, because there's a lot of reason to be afraid. Uh, and, uh, and, and you have this reminder that, uh, that if the Israelites are going to defeat the Canaanites, it's going to have to be because of God and not because they are the ones who are doing this. Keep in mind that the Israelites are not to be seen as this superior military force coming in on these hapless Canaanites uh, who are just minding their own business and not engaging any kind, in any kind of wicked behavior like incest, bestiality, uh, ritual prostitution, infant sacrifice, you know, things obviously that would be considered horrific and criminal in any society today. Uh, and so, or any modern society, uh, you know, civilized society. Uh, so, so you do have that kind yeah, of not Hamas apparently. Pardon? Yeah, <laughs> it's not yeah, Hamas exactly. apparently. They're they're okay with killing yeah. babies. And unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, so are we. Let's uh, let's remember that uh, we've killed sixty million babies in this country. Yeah. Uh, and as we look at revulsion as to what's going on in Hamas, maybe we ought to go home and look in the mirror sometimes too. Yeah. But sorry yeah, to interrupt, no, no, Paul. Good, but go uh, ahead. Good yeah. word. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so you have these, uh, so you have this uh, kind of a, uh, you know, the attack against the Israelites by, you know, again, it's recounted in, you know, the, the tra treaty with the Gibeonites recounted in Joshua 9. And then in chapter 10, there is this assault on the, uh, on the Israelites. We do have, again, the Amalekites. I mentioned uh, Joshua, uh, you know, yeah, I'm sorry, I mentioned Exodus, but they're also in, uh, in the book of 1 Samuel 15. We have mm -hmm. the, the Amalekites who have in, actually in chapter 14, the Amalekites have just raided in 1448. They have just raided the Israelites, and so there is this response, and uh, you know, and and so there is this uh, you know this attack uh, that has come against the Israelites once again. Uh, so you have people who do have it out for the Israelites. You do have, say, the Philistines who are coming uh, against the Israelites in, in say, First uh, Samuel. Uh, you know, if you know, the early chapters of First Samuel, you also have in the book of Judges the Midianites and others who are coming uh, to to undermine the Israelites. Uh, I spend a good bit of time in uh, in the in the vindictive bully book talking about the passage in uh, in Numbers twenty five and then Numbers thirty one where we have the Midianites who are seeking to derail God's covenant with the Israelites. Again, this is the, the, the redemption of the world is at stake. The identity of Israel is at stake. The mission uh, that Israel has to carry out to the ends of the earth, to bring blessing, uh, this is in the balance. And so the Israelites end up capitulating through the seduction of the Midianites uh, and engaging in sexual immorality and idolatry. And it says that they broke covenant with God who brought them out of Egypt. So th this is a very serious uh, undermining uh, to bring a curse on Israel. Again, remember the context here in Numbers 22, uh, Balak, the king of Moab, is seeking to bring a curse upon the Israelites through the pagan prophet Balaam. And, and God keeps on giving him blessing instead of curse, but Balaam finds another way of subterfuge uh, to undermine the covenant with God and to bring a curse on Israel in this way. So, so 
I have a, a, a number of uh, comments to make on that and even the retaliation response in Numbers 31. There's so much more in the Vindictive Bully book. Is God a Vindictive Bully, friends? You need to get it. If you're just tuning in, we're talking to Dr. Paul Copan about his new book, Is God a Vindictive Bully? And we're looking at it in the context of what's happening in Israel right now. That Hamas, which means violence in Hebrew, is a organization that in their charter has said they want the extinction of Israel, they want to create an Islamic state, and as you've seen over the past week, they will do almost anything to women, children, even babies, to uh, reach that goal. And my question for Dr. Copan, are there any parallels to this in the Old Testament? Are there tribes, were there tribes in the Old Testament that had a similar antipathy toward Israel, that they wanted Israel, Israelites dead? And we're finding that, yes, certainly the Amalekites and maybe the Midianites and some of these other groups did have a similar viewpoint. Obviously, it wasn't an Islamic viewpoint because Islam came along 2,000 or so years later. But the question is, what is a group of people supposed to do, Dr. Copan, when another group of people in the area in which they live seek their annihilation? What is biblical? What can, what, what can and should be done? Yeah, I mean, we can we can bring up even the Psalms here and, and where we and, and other texts where the Edomites, for example, uh, are engaged in, in in Psalm one. I talk about the imprecatory Psalms, those harsh sounding Psalms mm-hmm. in you know, like, for example, one thirty seven, which is probably the harshest. But there's also a context here where the Edomites are actually violating a, a, a treaty of brotherhood, a covenant, uh, because remember uh, Jacob and Esau, you know, you know Esau is the, the, the forefather, the father of the mm-hmm. Edomites, that when the Israelites are in disarray, in distress, when they are, when the Babylonians have come in, you have the Edomites who are actually leading their own flesh and blood into the hands of the Babylonians, you know, so so you have that kind of a uh, an action, a treacherous action uh, against the Israelites, and we see this picked up on in in the book of Amos too. We see in you know in Amos two and three that the Lord is going to send fire uh, on the uh, on those nations surrounding Israel, and, and and again mentioning Edom because of their treachery, because of the the way that they treated their uh, their flesh and blood, uh, and and the Israelites were not to go into the the land of Canaan and to attack the Edomites, uh, they you know, or or Moab or Ammon for that matter, who were the the offspring of of Lot, Abraham's nephew, but uh, you know, but it is again for those who are practicing these these heinous acts that God sends uh, judgment upon them to drive drive out these nations who are acting uh, wickedly in this way and who could have a corrosive influence on the nation of Israel. Uh, you know, I would also say that keep in mind that there is a short-term push against these Canaanites, but there is a long-term desire to bring blessing to them. In the, in the short term, these Canaanites are obstructing the global mission that God has for the Israelites to bring blessing to the nations, again, coming through the Messiah, Jesus. But but God still has the desire to bring in these nations into his saving purposes. We read in the Psalms about the Jebusite coming in, uh, or the Philistine, or others, uh, these enemies of, of the people of God, you know, Isaiah chapter 19, Assyria and Egypt, that God has this long-range purpose to bring salvation to these who are initially enemies of the Israelites, but God 
seeks to bring reconciliation to them. And that's why it's kind of interesting to see even in chapter 15 of Matthew, where Jesus goes to this Canaanite woman uh, and, 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 and helps uh, her in her need. And so she finds salvation. Uh, it, it's, it's remarkable to see that it's kind of come full circle, that what uh, was to be an act of removing the obstacle, now the, the goal has been reached by this Canaanite woman coming to faith in Jesus Christ. There's so much more with Dr. Paul Copan. His new book, Is God a Vindictive Bully? will help you understand the Old Testament. And it will also give you insights uh, into what's going on now. Were there parallels in the Old Testament to what's going on now? We're back in just two minutes. Don't go anywhere. If the Palestinians laid down their weapons, there would be no more war. If Israel laid down their weapons, there would be no more Israel. I'm paraphrasing Golda Meir, who was a prime minister of Israel many years ago. Benjamin Netanyahu has said something like this recently. I'm not suggesting that everything Israel does is righteous. Sometimes they do evil as well, but generally speaking, <laughs> It's the Palestinians that want to eradicate the Israelis. It's not the other way around. Although now, quite obviously, uh, Hamas has given Israel at least some grounds to say we need to take out the terrorist element in the Gaza Strip. In fact, one Israeli uh, military person said we're going to turn Gaza into a basically a, a tent city. That's what they, they, they think they're going to do now. Now, if that's an exaggeration, we'll see. Tragically, a lot of innocent civilians will die if that happens. There's more than 2 million people living in the Gaza Strip. It's only 25 miles by 4 or 5 miles wide. And uh, it's, uh, it's a difficult place to be. So, But what's Israel supposed to do now? Paul, what do you think of that statement from Golda Meir? Do you think she was accurate with that? Yeah, I think that's uh, that is that is accurate. And uh, of course, when we look at the Israelites, when the when the Palestinian Palestinians are willing to talk peace, Israel is willing to sit down at the table with them. Now you have the you know various uh, you know various accords, uh, you know you know Oslo and, and and others where where you where there's this willingness on the part of Israel to even give land, uh, and and so you you have this repudiation, however on the part of the uh, Palestinian authority uh, to cede anything to Israel. And so there is that kind of a catch-22. If the uh, president of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, uh, capitulates slightly, he's gone. Uh, Yasser Arafat had that fear. He did. He said, "I don't want to be drinking tea with uh, with uh, you know um, Anwar Sadat, who was assassinated. I don't want to be drinking tea with mm -hmm. him in the afterlife uh, because I'm capitulating or I'm ceding anything to the Israeli cause." So it's basically been this kind of a reluctance to give any ground to Israel, whereas the Israelites, the Israelis, have given ground. They've given land to uh, to those who are in the Palestinian. Uh, uh, you know, territories. Uh, and so, so I, th I think you're right about that. Many years ago, uh, during, it must've been in the nineties when president Clinton was the president, they had negotiated Camp David, a, yeah. yeah, almost a two state solution where there was a part where 
Israel, one part of Israel would be nine miles wide. And, and Yasser Arafat rejected the deal, which just goes to show, as you just mentioned, they weren't, they're not really interested in that. They're not really interested in negotiating anything. They want Israel destroyed. If he was, if he agreed to that, he would have probably been executed. Yeah, yeah that's right. And so it's a really hard problem over there. Uh, Obviously, the atrocities that have been committed in this surprise attack can't be tolerated, can't be sugarcoated, and ought not be. And yet it does give us a sense if this kind of action was taken by the Canaanite tribes on Israel or even on their own people, you can understand why God would have said after 400 years, all right, this needs to end. And uh, if we're going to get the promised people in the promised land to bring forth the promised Messiah, and these people are in the way, and we've warned them for 400 years to stop these practices, that last resort is what God has to resort to. And if look, if Christianity is true, that people don't die, they just change location. They go from this life to the next life, and it's up to God when that happens. So that's what happened in the Old Testament, and it's going to be curious to see what happens now, Paul, with this awful situation yeah. over there in in the Holy yeah. Land. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, like you, uh, someone who believes in the appropriateness of just war, uh, that the mm -hmm. goal of a just war is to bring a fair peace between the warring parties. Uh, but uh, but in the meantime, the, the kind of uh, actions that have been taken, the kind of uh, offensive uh, you know, um, action taken against Israel, or again, I think of uh, the Second World War and Nazi and Japanese aggression, uh, it was justifiable to respond, to retaliate, to bring uh, these two you know, nations and their allies into submission uh, to each other, uh, to, 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 the, to the allied forces, uh, in order to bring about a global peace, to bring stability to the mm -hmm. world. Uh, so, uh, as G.K. Chesterton said, that, you know, it's not out of hate that this is done. He said that you know, a just war is not—you uh, don't go to war because, of, because you hate the people in front of you, but because you love the people behind you. And I think that that's exactly mm. what we're seeing here in Israel as well. Paul, I have to ask you, because in the Vindictive Bully uh, book, you make this argument that I think many people have never seen, and they've overlooked it. In fact, some of— uh, your critics or people that think the God of the Old Testament can't be tolerated, people like Peter Enns and Randall Rouser and Greg Boyd, don't realize what you have uncovered by just reading the Bible, that Jesus brings judgment. Can you yeah. unpack that? Yeah, Jesus is like an Old Testament prophet declaring judgment that's coming on Jerusalem. He's warning them. And he's also affirming that judgments took place in the Old Testament in, in, in Matthew 11. You know, if you know if the miracles performed in you, he's telling, you know, Chorazin and Bethsaida, if they had been performed in uh, Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. And so Jesus is speaking about the judgment that is to come. He also uses very forceful language. He says that if in, in Matthew 18, 6, if someone leads one of my little ones, once astray, it'd be better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. In Jude 5, our best Greek manuscripts refer, it says, Jesus, after he had delivered the Israelites from Egypt, destroyed those who did not believe. 
Jesus is the one. It's a Trinitarian understanding of God's action in the Old Testament, and Jesus is bringing judgment upon those complaining, idolatrous, uh, adultery-prone Israelites. And so Jesus is involved in this. We see, we see in the New Testament uh, that the hand of the Lord it not only brings people to faith in Jesus Christ in, in Acts 11, but in Acts 13, the hand of the Lord is, it, it comes upon Elamus and he's struck blind. We see at the beginning of Acts 12, in, right in between those two chapters, where you have the, the, the angel of the Lord delivering Peter out of prison, something positive, something good. But at the end of that chapter, Herod is struck down by the angel of the Lord because of his impiety, because of his pride, because of his blasphemy. Uh, so we see Jesus himself in red letters in, in Revelation chapter 2 saying to these Jeze to Jezebel, this false prophetess, and her followers, she, he said, I will, I will, you know, he's going to cast Jezebel on a bed of sickness. And he said, I will strike dead her followers. This is Jesus. And it, 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 it reminds us of what Paul says in Romans eleven twenty two: Behold then the kindness and severity of God. I think a lot of these critics, you know, both inside as well as outside the church, they think that wrath and love are actually incompatible with each other. But as N.T. Wright said, some pe sometimes people are so wicked that you have to pray judgment upon them. He said mm. also that if God is not wrathful, then he is not loving. And that's one of the mm. themes that I'm bringing out in this book is God a vindictive bully to show that this is indeed the case, to say, oh, Jesus you know, it reveals the Father to us in saying, forgive them, Father, forgive them, or turn the other cheek. It's that same Jesus who's actually engaged in driving the money changers out of the temple, who is engaged in these actions against the Israelites in the Old Testament, because, you know, and bringing judgment upon them, striking them down. So, so there's kind of a, a, a cherry picking that is often going on with people like Greg Boyd. They select certain verses, but they ignore the other ones where Jesus is fierce, where we see the wrath of the Lamb. And there's also a call for even the saints in, 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 uh, who are redeemed, who are mar who've been martyred in Revelation 6. It says, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood that has been shed by those who dwell upon the earth? A again, a lot of these sorts of texts aren't mentioned by Greg Boyd. He just ignores them no. when you look them up in the index, one after another, boom, 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 just ignores them. Uh, and, and so we need to have a properly balanced picture. And Jesus is at the heart of judgment. He is, he is telling the nation of Israel that judgment is coming. We see in Revelation 6, about the, we read about the wrath of the Lamb and people are fearful and calling on the rocks to fall upon them. That's Jesus. Not only that, Paul, you also point this out, which is important for our listeners, that in addition to Israel pushing out the evil Canaanites, God comes behind Israel and then pushes out the evil Israelites yeah. because it has to do with sin. It's not genocide. It's not ethnicity. It's sin. We only got a minute, but mention yeah. that and then we'll exactly we'll wrap it up. Uh, in Jeremiah 25, 9 through 11. We read God is telling the Israelites, or the you know, people of Judah, the southern kingdom, that they're going to go into mm -hmm. exile. He says, I'm going to use that language of utter destruction. I will utterly destroy you and leave your cities in everlasting desolation, which actually only lasts for 70 years. And But, but they go into exile. So it's exile rather than extermination. And so when we see that language applied, we, we see clearly that this is not genocide. Mm, that's so well studied and the book is called is god a vindictive bully ladies and gentlemen by my guest today dr paul copan and uh, it's it's not just an update of is god a moral monster there's there's a lot of new material in there in fact it's a completely new book 
both of those books you ought to avail yourself of. Paul, where can people go online to learn more about you and what you're doing? Well, I've got a website, paulcopan.com. You can see the stuff that I'm doing and writing about and uh, the books I've written and edited. You can also go to the uh, my you know, the Amazon page where I've just uh, various books on not just Old Testament stuff, but on philosophy of religion, apologetics in general, and uh Christianity and science and all of those things. So a, a bunch of things to look at. I've done, I've edited or uh, authored over 40 books. So uh, a lot of things that I think are important and that Christians can avail themselves of. And if you want a great place to get an undergraduate education, you can go to Palm Beach Atlantic University where Dr. Paul Copan teaches. So yeah. check that out as well. And also friends. our MA philosophy religion program, get a, a master's degree there as well. So thanks for the encouragement to have people check Excellent. it out. Excellent. That's Oh, yeah, that's Dr. Paul Copan, ladies and gentlemen. Is God a Vindictive Bully? You really need to get that book and study it because there are so many great answers to the questions that you have today. All right, please pray for the peace of Israel. Pray for Israel. Pray for Israel's enemies. Pray that people would come to know you and be saved eternally. That's what it's all about anyway. All right, friends, great to be with you. See you next week. God bless.